Shortly after taking power in France in 1799, Napoleon Bonaparte told his Minister of the Interior, Jean-Antoine Chaptal, I want to do something great and useful for Paris. Chaptal replied, Give it water. Napoleon seemed surprised, but he went on to guarantee free water, requiring fountains to run unrestrictedly, night and day, and all restaurants were to provide free water to customers. I believe that God does something great, new and useful in these verses, and it has a lot to do with water and what it represents. In the first half of the book of Ezekiel, in a series of extraordinary visions, we are given a message declaring the glory of God's sovereign rule, but also the promise of judgment, the fall of Jerusalem, and the withdrawal of that same glory. In the last section of the book, all this gives way to hope. Despair gives way to restoration. Specifically, chapters 40 to 48 are the climax of the whole book, dominated as they are by a vision of the new temple, where God returns in glory to be in the midst of his people. That temple has been carefully measured. It is perfect and without flaw. It has much the same layout and functions as the old one, with its worship, offerings, sacrifices, priestly caste, and feasts reinstated. Yet suddenly here in chapter 47, we are giving something strange and new. The water emerges from the place of God's altar, begins as a trickle, goes beneath the door of the temple, and soon increases in volume, transforms the dry ground, and brings abundance growth and healing. This is all very different from what has gone before. What is this river? What does it all mean? Three features stand out. First, the volume of water increases as it flows. The initial source of water is a trickle from under the altar of the temple. The flow begins gently, but gathers force once outside the sanctuary. Then it increases in depth as it proceeds, from ankle to knee to waist. Finally, its depth is so great that it overwhelms the man. A trickle is transformed into a torrent. Four times the, me the man measures off a distance of 1,000 cubits, equivalent to about 457 meters or 1,500 feet, enters the water and reports its depth increasing from ankle deep to deep enough to swim in to too deep to cross. Note that in Ezekiel the number four is one of wholeness and totality. But here that standard of completeness is exceeded. With the final deluge of water, what up to then could be measured is now immeasurable. The four identical stretches are measured by the man, but after that the increasing depth of the water is beyond human measurement, as it was now, we are told, a river I could not cross. No human standard of measure can be used to fathom the overwhelming amount of water. It is beyond human capacity to contain or control. It is beyond measure, immense. What is the purpose of all this increased volume of water? Well, secondly, it has to do with growth and abundance. In this desert land, 
the water flow produces trees on either side. They bear fruit, not just once or twice a year, but every month. Growth is continuous. The water is fresh and life-giving, enlivening even the waters of the lifeless Dead Sea. Remember that the waters of the Dead Sea lie hundreds of meters below sea level. Fish can't live there because of the large amounts of salt. It is a lifeless place, afflicted with seemingly a curse of God, a place of judgment. But now it is transformed into a life-giving lake with an abundance of fish. It will be as rich in its number of fish as the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, we're told. Further, there will be a variety of fish species. Where the river flows, everything will live, we are told. Even a residue of salt supply, useful as a preservative, will be kept. The swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. The course of the water has a miraculous effect, therefore. Everything in the places which the river reaches has life. What was dead is made alive. Thirdly, not only does the increase in volume bring abundance, it brings healing. While trees bear fruit continuously, their leaves that never wither bring healing. Not only will the fish multiply, but all creatures that gather wherever the healing waters reach will have life. So out of God's temple flows a great life-giving river bordered by trees whose fruit is for food and whose leaves are for healing. Here we have blessings linked with the divine presence, expressed in the fertility of fruit trees and fresh water, leaves for healing, fish for fishermen, and life-preserving salt. What we are given here is a vision of life-giving abundance, healing, preservation, prosperity, life beyond measure. To understand the significance of all this, it has to be viewed in context of what has preceded. The seven chapters from 40 to 46 of Ezekiel are given over to the precise measurement and plans for the construction of the temple and the restoration of its rituals. But here that temple precision and order is surpassed by a vision of a God who shows that his life-giving presence extends outside the confines of his own sanctuary. Traditionally, the altar in the temple was the place to present something to God. But here, God reverses that practice. The water flow begins in the temple, but does not remain there. Rather, it flows away from God in a generous act of giving. The message is that renewal of life goes out from the place of the divine presence into the surrounding land. This is all a surprise, since up to now there has been a concentration on the sanctuary as a place where holiness is guarded carefully with the ritual and sacrificial system. But here we are shown that God's reach goes beyond the temple. God's presence in his sanctuary in the midst of his people does not create a self-contained holy place. Rather God proceeds beyond the confines of the temple to bring abundance, life and healing of the land. What extends from the temple cannot be contained 
within measurable confines, but burst forth in exceeding and overwhelming amounts, all emblematic of a mighty power emanating from God. If earlier God's anger is comprehensive and complete, as Professor Radner showed in his sermon on Ezekiel 5, shocking in its force, in its inclusiveness of good and bad, then here in chapter 47, that anger is reversed. For here we find that the torrent of God's judgment, previously visceral against Israel, is now redirected to its benefit. The image is one of growth beyond measure. God lets loose life, healing, and fruitfulness far beyond the temple boundaries into the wider world. The vision is of a river of grace, overflowing and limitless. As it flows, it becomes uncontainable, and in its flow, individuals, societies, and creation itself are caught up and revived. The renewal and hope taking place is infinite, beyond measure. In all this, God acts and exceeds our expectations. In a profound way, it signals to us that God's power and grace are open to all, with no walls, no barriers, in a free-flowing, increasing, and generous outpouring of love in the renewal of creation. Grace is not containable, but overflows and covers all. John, in his apocalyptic vision, also sees the river of the water of life, fruit trees that continually bear fruit and leaves for the healing of the nations. But John has a vision of an even greater hope, a completely new creation. In John's holy city, the New Jerusalem, abundance and healing are incorporated into where God will dwell with his people. The New Jerusalem is without a temple, for it has disappeared. Instead, God and the Lamb will be the temple of the community, and the river of life flows outward from the throne of God and of the Lamb right down to the main street of the city. As a foretaste of all that, Jesus declares himself to be the source of living water to all who believe in him, saying further, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. But it is not only that they should have life, but that it, in turn, like the water from the temple, should flow from them. As Jesus says, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Here we have a picture of the kind of impact God wants believers to have. God blesses, not simply to make us feel good, but to carry his blessing further. Adapting Napoleon's declaration, God is in essence saying to you and me, I want to do something great and useful for the world through you. He is inviting us to become channels of blessing. Like the river, Jesus gives blessing and life, on receipt of which believers in turn are meant to be a blessing to the world. We receive, then we pass on the blessing. That blessing should see an increase, bring abundance and healing. The renewal and hope taking place is potentially infinite, beyond measure. It is impossible to realize the infinite nature of God's blessing outlined here. Are we ready to receive that blessing? 
knowing that on receipt of it, that it does not stay with us? Are we prepared to act on what that blessing demands? Amen.